Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. I just want to introduce myself. I'm Trish Weeks, the children's director here. I've been on staff for about six years. (laughs) Thank you. Most of the kids and most of the parents know me simply as Miss Trish. And most of them know my husband as Mr. Richard. And a funny story, one of the kids asked him one day, he said, hey, Mr. Richard, are you married? And he said, yeah, I'm married to Miss Trish. And she's like, no, you can't be. You don't have the same last name. And he was like, what do you mean? And he said, well, you're Mr. Richard and she's Miss Trish. So it took us a while to convince him that we really were married. But we've been married for 23 years and have two awesome boys. Ryan and Colin, they are 20 and 18. Tonight we were supposed to pick our favorite psalm and preach on that. And that was a little hard because I have a lot of favorite verses and I have a lot of verses I can quote. There's a lot of verses I give the kids, but as far as picking a whole psalm that was my favorite, I really did not know what to pick. There's so many great things in God's word. But Paul Krause, one of our elders, looked at me. He serves over in Tree Kids and he, he took me aside one day and he said, Trish, you have got to study about rest. And I thought, well, that's a good word for me. So tonight, that's what we're gonna study about. It's Psalm 95 about rest. But what I learned is that the more I studied Psalm 95, there was so much, so many good things in there, so many great truths, that it becomes your favorite. So if you don't have a favorite, just study the word and whatever it is that you're studying will be your favorite thing right then because God's a God of today. So let me pray and then we'll, we'll get started. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity, God. And I, I do, I thank you for all the people who are here tonight and the people who are live streaming. Father, I thank you for that awesome worship we just had. Lord, we just wanna step from glory to glory to glory, that you take us higher and that tonight we are forever changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wanted to start with kind of a little story. A wise woman was traveling in the mountains and she found a precious stone. The next day she met another traveler who was hungry and the wise woman opened her bag to share her food. The hungry traveler saw the precious stone and asked the woman to give it to him. She did so without hesitation. The traveler left rejoicing in his good fortune. He knew the stone was worth enough to give him security for a lifetime. But a few days later, he came back to return the stone to the wise woman. I've been thinking, he said, I know how valuable that stone is, but I give it back to you in the hope that you can give me something even more precious. Give me what you have within you that enables you to give me that stone. That wise woman had peace. She was at rest. She wasn't worried, she had faith and trust that everything would be taken care of. And that's what I wanna talk to you about tonight. So the title of Psalm 95 is Rest Assured. Psalm 95 serves as an introduction to a series of psalms devoted to the theme of praise and worship. The psalm progresses from talking about praise and worship to recognizing who he is and remembering what he's done, which helps us to trust him, which helps us to obey him, which assures us rest. The first seven verses describe who we worship, why we worship, and how we worship. And that's enough for a whole other sermon. But I wanna spend a little time tonight talking about the, 
I want to spend most of the time on the last four verses, but I do want to spend a little time in these first seven because I'm truly convinced if we understood worship, we would be at rest. Our souls would be at rest. So let's get started. Verses one and two. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and praise him with music and song. The first blank you have there is we worship God together. We worship God together. It says let us. He's inviting people to come together to praise God. Point number two, we worship God out loud. It's vocal, it's not private or silent, it's enthusiastic and excited. It's a shout for joy, a shout of triumph, it's animated praise and worship. Point number three, God is the source and subject of our worship. God is the source of our joy and the recipient or the subject of our praise. Biblical praise and worship has God at its center. He is worthy, he desires it, he commands it. Verse three up there, verse one up there says, he is the rock of our salvation. He is our savior, he's our founder and he's our foundation. Point number four, we worship God in his presence. Ah, that song, into his presence, come into his presence, here in your presence. That was so beautiful. We come in his presence. We are in front of his face. The word right there says face to face with God. Not from a distance, but face to face. It's like if, you, if your kid's calling you through the house and they're shouting your name, mom, mom, and you say, don't yell at me, come find me. I'm right here in this room. Come talk to me. Come get close to my face. That's the same relationship that God wants us to have. He wants us to be close enough so that we can see his face and that we can hear his voice. And while it should be fervent, it also must be founded on truth. So verses three through seven. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, there that is again, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. We are the flock, we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. That next blank says we worship God as Lord. And if you want to write it in all caps, that's the way it says it up in verse three. The Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps but smaller print, is the great God. He is the great God. He is great. In Faith Factory, we have the crosses like y'all do over here and we have little post-its. And sometimes, and we ask them during the worship time, they can come write a praise or a thank you or just something to God. And so many times they're just so simple. All they simply say is, God, you're awesome. God, I love you. God, you're the best. That's awesome. That's how God wants us to worship him as well. And I had you write that with all caps because that's a very special name for God. It's his covenant name. It's sometimes you may have heard it translated Jehovah or Yahweh. In the Old Testament, the word, this word Yahweh occurs over 6,000 times. It's used more than any other name of God. 
And while Yahweh is first used in Genesis 2, dealing with creation, like we're talking about up here, up in verses 3, 4, and 5, God did not reveal himself as Yahweh until Exodus chapter 3, which is when he talks to Moses in the burning bush. And we're going to get to that part tonight, too. Point number two, we worship God as creator. Man, that's so awesome. He is the creator, he is the owner. Not only is the world the work of his hands, it's in his hands right now. And it reminds me of the song, he's got the whole world in his hands. I remember singing that when you were younger, right? He's got the whole world in his hands. It's in his hand, it's under his power, and it's under his control. It's his creation, so he has the right over it. He has dominion over it, he has claim over it. And I loved it where it talked about verses four. It's the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks, and the sea and the dry land. That kinda, that kinda covers everything, doesn't it? It's so, it's so deep. I almost sang deep and wide, but I won't do that. It's deep, he sees the deep, he sees the highest part. He sees beyond the ordinary observation of man, beyond our senses, he can see all of that. Point number three, we worship God in reverence. It says, come let us bow down. This is verse six. Come let us bow down and worship. There's a transition here from standing and shouting praise to falling on our face in worship. And you'll even notice that as they plan the songs for us. We start off just joyful and exuberant and singing and shouting and clapping and then we come to a song that really humbles us and speaks about who God is in our worship for him. I I wrote this down, and you can fill in the blank. It says, idolaters kneel before gods which they themselves made. We kneel before a God who made us. Idolaters kneel before gods which they themselves made. We kneel before a God who made us. The next point, he is our God. He revealed himself not just as the God of creation, but as our God in a very intimate and personal relationship. And I love the next point. We worship God as shepherd. Man, you could preach sermons just on this verse, just on this topic. Abby preached a couple weeks ago on the Lord, on Psalm 23, the Lord is our shepherd. In John chapter 10 and verse 14, Jesus says he is the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice. So he's telling us we're the sheep and we're his flock. We are guided and fed by him. He is the shepherd leading and feeding and protecting and guarding. And you're starting to see a little bit of that rest in there. He leads us beside the still waters. He restores our soul. It's that special covenant relationship. 1 Peter 2.25, it says that we were all sheep and then we've all gone astray, but we've come back to the shepherd. And that's sometimes how we read it and what it says, but the word actually doesn't mean we came back to the shepherd. It means the shepherd went and got us and brought us back. It translates, he returned us. And that's pretty powerful. Think about that tonight. You've been returned. You've been returned to the flock. In John 21, chapter 15, this is after Jesus is crucified and died and rises again and he comes back to talk to his disciples and he especially goes to talk to Peter because Peter had denied him three times. And he talks to Peter and he wants to reinstate him and restore that relationship and he tells Peter, 
to feed his sheep and feed his lambs. I can't really let this pass without just making a point about tree kids. It's important to Jesus that we feed the sheep and it's important to Jesus that we feed the lambs. If you're looking for a place to serve, man, this is, Tree Kids is the place. If you have a heart for the next generation, if you wanna see yourself encouraged, that's where you need to be. And it's so different because sheep can feed themselves. I could give you my notes and you could read them and get a lot out of this. I could tell you, go study Psalm 95, you could get online and look up as much as I did and get probably a lot of what I got out of it. But it's not so with the lambs. You have to break it down into little pieces so it gets into their heart so they can memorize it and live on that. That's what they live on is the very word of God. Point, the next point says, we worship God today. And that's a big important point as well. We hear his voice. He's calling us, inviting us, encouraging us today. In the present, not yesterday, not tomorrow, but today. When our boys were little, we had a couple sayings and they will know them very well. And some of the other, so we had some friends come tonight because this is my first time to talk in big church. And they'll also remember because they taught their kids the same thing. And probably some of you did as well. You want your kids to obey immediately, completely, and cheerfully. And that is the exact same thing God wants from us. Immediate, complete, and cheerful obedience. And the other thing that we said, and in fact, my son reminded me of it even just a few weeks ago, because I asked him, what did God tell you? And he said what I had told him years ago. He said, mom, delayed obedience is disobedience. And that right there is how you can raise your kids. Don't just teach him to obey your voice, teach him to obey God's. He expects us to hear him, to know his voice, to respond to his voice, just like we would like our kids to. And so we get into the next part, which I'm super excited about, but seven, the end of seven there, we're gonna kind of go back and refer to it again, because it's kind of a transition. It kind of summarizes or concludes that first part about the praise and worship, and then it and remembering who he is, and it translates into something very, very different. So if we remember who he is, like the seven, the, uh, verses three through seven, it says, if you remember that and you're his sheep, then you're gonna hear his voice. But it also translates into the very next sentence, into the next verse. And it says, if you hear his voice, you need to obey him, and don't be stubborn. That's basically what it says. It's a warning to us. It's this transition from jubilant praise to humble worship and now to a very solemn warning. And I want you to note that the speaker changes from the psalmist to God himself. This is God speaking. Let's read, I'm gonna start again at the end of verse seven. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah and as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. It's pretty abrupt and it's pretty serious. 
It's a warning, it's kind of a hard passage, but truthfully, it's really very simple. And the next point says, we worship God when we trust and obey him. Verse eight and nine again, it says, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did the day at Massa in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. Now he's talking here, he's talking here to the Israelites. The next verse says, a test is something to find out what a person can do. Can you imagine testing God? A test is to see what someone can do. You remember those tests in school? Or maybe a test you have to do now at work. They wanna see what you can do. They already knew what God can do. He had already been showing them. Meribah and Massa were, were where he says they tested him. And he's referring, referring to their forefathers. And he's talking to Israel. And it would be like today for us if someone in here or somewhere anywhere in Texas or pretty much the world said something about remember the Alamo. Everybody would know exactly what they're talking about. They would know about the battle, they would know about the fight, and it's remembered for the bravery of those soldiers. But when God talks about Meribah and Massa, he's talking about rebellion, not bravery. The word Meribah means provocation or strife, contention, quarreling, and angry. And the word Massa means temptation or testing. So a little bit of a review these are towns that they, were tra- that they traveled through and they, actually they weren't named this until they got there because God was frustrated with them. They had already been delivered from the Egyptian bondage. They'd been in bondage and slavery for 430 years. God sent a deliverer. He sent Moses to deliver them. He had already, Moses had seen the burning bush which is where we get that first covenant name of God where that's mentioned in, where he calls himself Yahweh where he says, I am the Lord He goes back to Pharaoh and Pharaoh doesn't want to let the people go, but he finally does after all the plagues. Most of y'all know the story. Have you seen the movie? They get to the Red Sea and there's an obstacle right in front of them and and immediately they start, oh, we shouldn't have ever left. And God's like, it's just a river. It's just a sea. And he performs this great miracle. He separates the waters. They walk through on dry land. You know the story. The Israelites are swallowed back by the water. Then he, they come to a place where the water's bitter and God makes it sweet. And then he gives them manna, which is bread falling from heaven every morning and quail every night to eat. He just feeds them supernaturally in the wilderness. And then they get to the next place and they complain again. And that's where he says, this is called Meribah. This is where you tested me. This is where you did not trust me. And it's, to, it's important to note that this is before the Ten Commandments. So this isn't God saying, you're not following my Ten Commandments, I'm upset with you. He's saying, I want you to trust me every day, every step. You have a fire at night and a cloud by day, come on. How much more do I need to prove myself? This went on for 40 years. The next blank there says, Israel interpreted every crisis as an occasion for their death and not their deliverance. Every time they were like, we shouldn't have left. It was better when we were slaves and it was ridiculous. Israel interpreted every crisis as an occasion for their death, not their deliverance. God saw every crisis as an opportunity to provide. God calls this a hard heart and he's warning us not to be like that. He says, this is more than a place. It's not just a town or a geographical location. It's an attitude and it's a persistent problem, testing and contending, having a lack of trust and faith. The real question was, it's the next spot on your notes. The real question was, 
it wasn't can God provide for his own, but will God's own people trust and obey his word? Now that next sentence, it might sound a little funny at first. What I wrote was, God doesn't respond to us, we respond to him. Now of course God responds to us, he wants to talk to us, he wants us to come close to him, but what I mean is that God did not respond to the Israelites because of their complaining. The complaining isn't what moved God to part the Red Sea. The complaining isn't what moved God to do any of these things. He had already gone before them to provide. I know all of us don't use Facebook and some of us have a love-hate relationship with it, but one thing I have enjoyed are the memories that come up. They've started that, right? And you look back at what you posted years ago and this is something about a month ago that came up on my feed that I had posted several years ago. And it was about the woman, the women on the way to the tomb. I was reading Mark 16 and this phrase really stuck out at me. It was saying that on Easter morning, the ladies were going to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body and they worried out loud. They weren't even worrying to themselves. They were causing everybody else to worry. They worried out loud to each other. Who will roll back the stone? And it got me thinking how many things I worry about that God has already taken care of. I don't know it because I'm not there yet, but the stone had already been rolled away before they got there, before they even worried about it. Worry didn't move the stone, God did. And he's moving stones out of our way today for me and for you. The provision always goes before us. So the question is, that blank that said we don't respond to, he doesn't respond to us, but we respond to him. So the question is, how do we respond to him? How do we respond to his provision? So this is one of the last blanks on here, number two. We worship God when we rest. We worship God when we rest. Back to the story of the wise woman and the precious stone, she was able to give up something that had great value because she was assured that what she had was even more valuable. She trusted that all her needs would be met. She was at peace. She was at rest. And we can rest assured that our rest is assured. In the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, it quotes this exact portion of Psalm 95 and it goes on to explain it. The writer of Hebrews says, their unbelief, their lack of faith and trust is what kept them out of this rest. God had something provided for them and most of them never entered it. the promise of what God had for them and that we should also, it says we should fear. It says we should fear. That's what it says in Hebrews. Now, usually God tells us not to fear. He says, fear not. He says, don't be afraid. He says, be strong and courageous. You don't have a spirit of fear. We teach our kids all these verses. I know we do. In tree kids, your kids are memorizing these. They know these. I can start it. I will say, God has not given us a spirit of, and they will all say, Fear. And I'll say, but he has given us a spirit of strength and strong mind and love, a spirit of power. They know the answers to these. And yet here, God is telling us to fear. Some other translations say, be careful or take heed. God calls it a sinful, unbelieving heart. Unbelief is what shut them out. Unbelief forfeits rest. 
their unbelief perverted their judgment and led them into disobedience. Hebrews says, let us fear that we are unable to enter that spiritual rest that he promised because of our unbelief. Jesus himself assured our rest when he took care of all the sins through his sacrifice on the cross. The only sin that excludes us is unbelief, not accepting that sacrifice. God is telling us we can rest assured that Jesus' sacrifice was more than enough. Don't leave a promise unfulfilled because of unbelief. Hebrews 4.11, it says, work to enter this rest. And that sounds kind of funny. So my next point there, it says, rest is not a lack of activity. Rest is not a lack of activity, but a lack of anxiety. Resting is not being anxious. Now, God gives you a word to preach and God gives you something to share and immediately that's what's gonna be attacked. And I immediately started having things come up, opportunities to test God, to tempt him, to question him, to be stressed out and to worry. Because of the study time that I was able to invest in this, I was able to stand. I refused to be moved from my place of rest. I had to say it out loud. Stress and freaking out is not God's will for me. I'm not sure if that's a Facebook quote, but stress and freaking out is not God's will for you. I didn't just practice saying this sermon, I had to live it. I had to tell myself, look at all he's done. We have a thankful jar in our home and we write down the things that God's done for us when we come across something that week or that month or whatever. And then on Thanksgiving, we open it and we read it and it's, we're amazed. Most of the things we've forgotten about because they were small, but they were big at the time and they were big to God. So you can look at all he's done. He would not set me up to fail. This isn't the sermon I thought I would be preaching, but I knew it's what God would have me to talk about. And I knew he would not let it fail. I see how faithful he's been and I will continue to trust him. It takes work to have faith. It's a result of daily diligence and intentional trust to make a decision to not be moved. And we have to help each other fight that unbelief. The next blank says unbelief, that's the word. Unbelief is such a constant and dangerous temptation that we must help each other fight it. That's why we encourage you all the time to get in a small group. That's why we encourage you to find a place to serve, to build relationships, to have some friends. Because I'm gonna tell you, some of the things that came against me, I'd like to say I stood real strong. But when it first came, I called a couple friends. And they were able to walk me through it and tell me the truth that I already knew. I just needed to hear it confirmed. The only thing we need to fear is not trusting God because that's what will keep us from entering God's rest. Unbelievers could not enter the rest, but we who believe enter that rest. A person who lives by faith doesn't have their attention on what they have to do to get right with God, but focuses their attention on what God did for us. Rest isn't found in trying to please God, but in realizing that Jesus pleased God. And that very last blank is rest is realizing that we already have it. I bet you could have guessed that one. We don't need to get it. We just need to get a revelation that we already have it. The message of Psalm 95 to the original audience and to us, if we go back to the beginnings, praising and worshiping God, recognizing who he is, 
remembering what he's done and trusting him, which helps us obey him, which assures us rest. If you have already come to trust in Christ as God's provision for your salvation, I urge you to continue to worship and to trust him. Whatever comes against you, know he's already gone before and he has made a way. I urge you to worship him as though your well-being depended on it because it does. The greater intimacy with God, the greater our reverence. The more the disciples came to know Jesus, the greater they fell in love with him. And the more I studied Psalm 95, it became my favorite. That's how good God's word is. If you've not accepted Jesus today as your savior, if you've not accepted him yet, I want you to know that this rest is available to you today. Today, if you hear his voice, believe. Salvation isn't based on what you do, it's based on what Jesus did. Jesus also was in the wilderness. He wasn't in there for 40 years. He was in there for 40 days and nights. He relived that whole wilderness wandering victoriously. He endured the test that Israel failed and he alone is qualified to accomplish the work of salvation for us. You simply acknowledge that you can't do it on your own and believe that Jesus is God's son who did it for you. He came and lived a perfect life and died in your place and tell him you want him to be your savior. Romans 10, nine says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Israel halted at the crucial place of decision. They left Egypt They left their old life, but they never entered the promised land. So don't just try to leave your old life and get away from things, but commit yourself to a new relationship with Jesus. Israel never entered because of unbelief. Moses couldn't make it happen. Joshua couldn't make it happen. But God has a better promise in Jesus who made it happen. It's a completed work, a positional fact, freedom from what worries and disturbs you and hassles you to be at total peace with God and resting in Him. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.